So, so we've been talking a lot about gut health. Yeah. And we've been talking about the things that can go wrong. With Thomas Easley, yes. herbalist extraordinaire. I'd, I'd really love to talk a little bit of some of the things we can do when things go wrong. Oh, okay. What are some of the approaches we can take? Here we go, buddy. This is all you. Okay. So uh, when things go wrong, do you all want to just throw out some uh, random wrong conditions and I'll tell you how I might approach them? Okay. Candida. Okay. So uh, candida overgrowth. Uh, first off, it is a rarely systematic, uh, systemic overgrowth that only happens in immunocompromised people. So your toenail fungus has nothing to do with uh, uh, overgrowth of candida albicans in your gut, totally different species. A lot of misconceptions out there about it. Um, if you have oral thrush, if you have a vaginal yeast infection, then you might be dysbiotic leaning towards the fungal dominant side. There's also another condition that's poorly talked about in the literature, but it's gaining a little bit of traction called small intestinal fungal overgrowth with symptoms that um, have a lot of overlap with small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And the only differentiating symptom is that about 80% of people with small intestinal fungal overgrowth experience regular nausea with mills and uh, it's oftentimes blamed on the gallbladder so oh wait can... wait 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 okay so the symptoms are what then? oh so symptoms are the same as small intestinal bacterial overgrowth post mill bloating uh, ibs uh, dc and m um uh, and then with the the can when the Fungal overgrowth, nausea is really frequent, but with bacterial overgrowth, nausea is normally not frequent. Take so both of diarrhea, well, yeah, so diarrhea, and constipation, and mixed diet, okay. you know, so both types are both diarrhea and constipation. So IBS is like chances are 80% or so caused by uh, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Studies are still coming in on that, but, um, a lot of cases of IBS are uh, dysbiosis in small intestines that are bacterial dominant, um, but some cases are fungal dominant. And then you have oral thrush and uh, vaginal thrush. Uh, so what do you do when you have uh, an actual overgrowth of yeast, not like the 1980s herbalism concept of yeast candida overgrowth? Um, some of my favorite herbs for that are neem. Neem, like the thing that people are used to clean stuff with? Yes. Insecticide for getting rid of aphids? Yes. So that is neem oil. Um, uh, It is an insecticide. It is actually used uh, in India also as a spermicide because it will kill sperm. Um, I argue that it probably decreases conception because it smells so god awful, but it's a spermicide too. Could see that, yeah. I don't, I don't recommend <laughs> the oil internally. You technically can do it in small doses, but you rarely need it. The leaf is readily available, sustainably harvested. Neem grows in South Florida. Um, and, uh, I do a standard one to five, uh, uh, percolation of the leaf and it is a, a pretty potent antifungal. So um, one to five and what's your menstruum you're using? 50%, uh, ethanol. Mm-hmm. And, uh, then, so yeah, like you could use a brandy or a vodka. Yeah. Brandy vodka. Okay. Um, then I really like chaparral. 
Yeah, so that's another really good one. A lot more aromatic, resinous, uh, got a, a much different energy to it than neem, but is very broad spectrum. And, and a lot of times there's, it's not just like yeast overgrowth, it's dysbiosis that is yeast dominant, but it's still yeah. an overgrowth of bacteria too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I like to go fairly broad spectrum. Uh, so my like, the the dysbiosis formula that I use as a shotgun approach is uh, uh, four parts barberry, four parts black walnut. No, sorry, four parts andrographis, two parts barberry. Let me start over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. okay. Barberry okay. It's it's four barberry, four andrographis. Two parts, um, walnut, black walnut. Thank you. <laughs> uh, one part chaparral, one part papaya seed, papaya seed, papaya seed. So go to the grocery store, get a papaya, eat it, save the seed, throw it in alcohol, throw it in the blender and make papaya seed tincture. What? That's new to me. And uh, <laughs> one part fennel. One part fennel. Yeah. Okay. The fennel uh, takes it from being like the most vile, disgusting thing yeah. you've ever tried to yeah. somewhat palatable. Because yeah. you have made it uh, the most god-awful tincture formulation that I have yes. seen in quite some time. The only thing yeah. that would make it worse would be sapomina or mugwort. Have you thought of throwing oh. those in there? Oh, I no. Haven't. Here we I, go. I haven't. But you, neem is in there. Sorry, it's also neem, neem, two parts also neem. Unpleasant. Yeah, so that way neem we have oil? no the, the neem, neem tincture. Tincture, tincture. Okay. Yeah, that way we have overlap between uh, antimicrobials and antifungals. That makes sense. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And uh, uh, papaya seed is interesting. So there, we mentioned uh, um, in uh, the previous segment about parasites. There's a, a study out of uh, somewhere in South America that showed that a teaspoon of uh, dried ground papaya seed twice a day was uh, as effective as flagell for protozoan and uh, almost as effective as uh, albendazole for worms. Oh, wow. And papaya seed grows all over places where parasites are common. I understand that it is abundant in places where there are papaya trees. Yeah, there oh, are geez. lots of <laughs> that's just that's that's my botanical uh, studies oh, coming in handy rock. there. Thank you, thank nice. you. Dispute that if you will. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> so go on. Uh, so yeah, papaya seed has they've got a peppery taste to them. They're uh, a little antibacterial, a little fungal, a little antiparasitic. Uh, so they act in this formula as a, a bit of a catalyst. And mm-hmm. fennel is acting as kind of the balancer there. And uh, then you have uh, barberry um, and andrographis that are sharing the key herb with black walnut, neem, and chaparral in supporting roles. Okay. So is this formula also in your book? Uh, that is this is special for us? Um, I'm almost certain that formula is in my book. I don't remember what I call it. Um, I just call it GIABX compound here. Oh, that's a flashy name. 
Yeah, and uh, it works. That's, you know, if I think somebody has dysbiosis of the small intestines, uh, that's normally the herbal formula that I start with, assuming that I've uh, addressed, you know, stomach acid and migrating motor complexes and, you know, bile production and all of that. All right. Wow, that's pretty cool. Um, Other, let's see, other things for thrush. I'll tell you the fastest thing that I've seen involves the internal use of essential oils, which I normally don't advocate, but I'm going to put this disclaimer out there. Uh Uh-oh, pay attention, kids. If you choose to use essential oils internally, don't use them on children. Don't use them undiluted. Water does not dilute essential oils. They must be mixed in a carrier oil before they're used internally. And there are some essential oils that when used internally will liquefy your liver and kill you. So that doesn't sound think... good. <laughs> you have to be really careful with them. Mm-hmm. You have to be really careful with them. Yeah. Um, but I have found uh, that uh, lavender and uh, tea tree um, mixed. So it would be a, a 1 to 20 dilution, one drop of lavender and one drop of tea tree oil in uh, 20 drops of carrier oil. And then you would take five drops of that once a day. So uh, you're getting much less than one drop of essential oil. Uh, And I have found that to be effective for stubborn cases of thrush. And you use that for adults, essentially. Yeah, I use that for adults. Mm -hmm. What do you do for babies? Babies. Um, So babies with thrush, I normally will... um, I'll talk to the mom about, you know, uh, washing uh, the nipples before breastfeeding. Uh, um, and hygiene. Mm-hmm. Hi- hygiene is big there. Uh, I will oftentimes recommend that um, the mom use yogurt on the nipples as well to try to reestablish a bacterial dominance to the skin uh composition of uh, commensal organisms. And uh, then I will occasionally, you know, resort to more drastic measures like, okay, you have to pump a day's worth so that we can use uh, herbs internally. They're going to be like cleared before you start breastfeeding again. Um, But I find that most of the time, uh, if I uh, take away the common things that feed uh, yeast in mama and uh, focus on hygiene and uh, probiotics with her, mm-hmm. uh, it will clear up in the baby. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And uh, in you know, if you have to go stronger, uh, coconut oil does contain a couple of fatty acids that are antifungal and uh, can be applied uh, to the breast before breastfeeding so that baby is getting antifungal compounds with breast milk. Keep in mind that coconut oil is an allergen for some people. Uh, It absolutely is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Um, And I uh, did a little looking whilst you were talking in your book, and that formula that you talked about with the Barbary is in your book, GI Infection 
and parasite formula. It's on page 154. But oh, we, nice. we, I guess we can put that uh, as a written out formula in, in our uh, show yeah. notes for folks. For yeah. Our, yeah, that's thank great. You. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. Yeah. So we've so got... We'll- We've got the when like candida or well parasites when that goes wrong. What mm-hmm. do you do when a lot of people as they're aging, it seems like they don't absorb as well. Mm. I'm not sure mm. what really causes that unbalance, but it. Well, I have some ideas about that. Uh-huh. Um, do tell. S- yes. So. If you don't have celiac disease and you don't have uh, Crohn's disease uh, and uh, you're malabsorbing, uh, the most common uh, cause of that is a condition that used to be called atrophic gastritis. And uh, they have now split into environmentally mediated atrophic gastritis, EMAG, and uh, autoimmune mediated atrophic gastritis. So you can have an autoimmune attack on uh, the gastric parietal cells and uh, develop pernicious anemia, which is not super common, but it's not uncommon. But the more common cause of uh, malabsorption is uh, the environmentally mediated atrophic gastritis, which is associated with uh, achlorhydria or no stomach acid. And they can test this. They rarely do because they don't have a medical intervention to raise stomach acid. So why test for something if there's no treatment for it in their mind? And I can tell you that many insurance companies are going to put up a fit about yeah. testing for that and paying for it. Yeah. So you can do the Heidelberg capsule test where you swallow a capsule with a radio transmitter and a pH uh, mm-hmm. sensor. And uh, they can do it tethered or untethered. So they can pull it back out or they can let it pass all the way through. Mm-hmm. And uh, then uh, you uh, drink um, sodium bicarbonate, uh, baking soda water, and uh, they see how long it takes for rebound acid production to occur. So for the pH to lower back down to normal levels. And if you fell that in the three challenges, then you're said to have achlorhydria. I think a lot of times what happens is people kind of have subclinical achlorhydria, what in in the herbal world we would call hypochlorhydria, which is low stomach acid. And I hinted earlier, or I talked a little bit earlier about that within the context of uh, nutrient deficiencies. Um, But it can be induced by just simple plain change stress. And uh, it can be induced by dysbiosis of the small intestines. And it can be induced by... Uh, a lot of different things. Uh, I I think that in my practice, what I see most commonly is uh, nutrient deficiencies and uh, stress kind of manifesting as low stomach acid, which then leads to small intestinal dysbiosis. And then that kind of exacerbates the whole process and uh, starts inhibiting um, absorption. So the, the bacteria that are overgrowing in the small intestines need food as well, and they can start gobbling down our nutrients and then belching out hydrogen and carbon dioxide and methane and uh, all types of nasty little things. And uh, um, I was, uh, for instance, uh, pretty severely B12 deficient, and... Uh, I have a weird gene mutation where my body burns through B12 quickly, but I had uh, 
uh, a little malabsorption and small intestinal dysbiosis going on. And I never knew it because I had never experienced good digestion before. So I thought it was just like, this is me. Right. Mm-hmm. right. So I go, I go to a physician friend of mine about six months after I got back from uh, doing relief work in 2010 after the earthquake in Haiti. And uh, I said, doc, I'm just like, I'm tired. Like I'm getting all my stuff done, but I'm dragging. Uh, I, I, I was thinking, oh, I'm just like burnout out and exhausted and emotionally overwhelmed and maybe have a little bit of PTSD. But it, it felt like more than just emotional. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so uh, she uh, is brilliant at coding and I had really good insurance. And so <laughs> they took 21 vials of blood and. Uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, that's a hobby. Yeah. And, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. I I, they, she you. ran a lot of tests. And uh, uh, I had B12 of 211, uh, serum B12 level. And uh, the pathological range is less than 200. But I think the functional range for B12 is more like people should be over 500, mm-hmm. over 550 serum B12. Yeah. And uh, so uh, I was really low. And uh, she said, do you want shots? And uh, I said, well, I was afraid of needles until working, uh, you know, post earthquake in Haiti. And now I'm not so sure. Let's do shots. And uh, um, so uh, I did the first shot and I felt nothing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did. Well, that's because you were shot. at, you know, under 200. Yeah. Right. <laughs> So I did the second shot and I thought, uh, and uh, I did the third shot. This is all within the course of a week. I was doing them like every couple of days and I did the third shot and uh, I felt for the first time in my life, what good digestive function was. I literally felt my stomach acid increase. It was the funkiest feeling. (laughs) And, uh, and I felt uh, clear cognition. And I thought to myself, like, I am 29 years old, and I've already accomplished a fair bit at this age. Imagine if the last decade of my life, I would have had this level of like, the, the cogs turning like they should. Mm, wow. But I had no clue. And I'd very likely been B12 deficient, you know, most of my life, I have a MTRR mutation, a lot of people know about the MTHFR mutation, but I have the MTRR and the MTHFR and like, my genetics are a hot mess of uh, crazy polymorphisms. <laughs> um, and so yeah, my body just burns through B12. So though I've eaten red meat three times a week since I was a kid, uh, I was pretty severely B12 deficient. And uh, by supplementing with B12, my whole digestion changed. Wow. And uh, so I think that um, this concept that like digestion gets worse as we age is number one, maybe not factually correct. Um, the newest studies are showing that stomach acid production does not decline as we age, like I thought and like mm-hmm. all of the old textbooks said, uh, but rather it declines in response to uh, 
stress and uh, the poor nutritional choices that elderly people are more likely to make. Because, I mean, right. honestly, if you make it to 70 years old, who the hell wants to cook three meals a day? <laughs> right. Well, and we see a lot of those same symptoms displayed with the unhoused that I treat. It's mm-hmm. the same kind of stuff. They've, they've yeah. you know, they're, they're tired. They, their bowels are in a, and they're stressed out. They're so stressed out. You so know, stressed. Social lepers as far as the world is concerned. So. I hate to break it to you. A large portion of the middle class feels that too. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think it's probably the same thing going on. It could be. This, yeah. The stress is outrageous for folks. Well, and the so. nutritional choices that many yeah. people make when they're on the go, they've got get up early in the morning, drop the kids at school, mm-hmm. go to work all day, pick the kids up grab something very quick to eat, get the kids to whatever their after-school activity is, get home very late, argue with the kids about getting their schoolwork Mm -hmm. finished, Mm -hmm. get them to bed, maybe try to get some laundry or something done and then fall into bed themselves Mm -hmm. and then start the whole thing over the next day. Yeah. Well, and, you know, when you think about it, like stress is uh, uh, evolutionarily designed to encourage uh, impulsive decisions. Like you don't, you don't want to think about your plot through the woods when you're being chased by a bear. You just want to run. Right. Uh, And uh, so when we have a a culture that keeps this, like, I don't even want to say low level, but like mid-level constant stress through the bombardment from our media and uh, the stimulation from technologies and the lack of sleep because we have this, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do everything and work harder and work longer. And it's just this whole like cultural, you know, multiple curse words. Yeah. After Mm -hmm. that, um, that keeps this this medium level of stress going all the time mm-hmm. that feeds into our whole consumerism culture because it encourages the impulsive decisions that marketers use every time they position their product on end caps. Right. Yep. So, yeah, um, you know, you were talking earlier about one of my favorite herbs, lavender. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I just wanted to point out that it is an underutilized gut remedy. Mm, taking it lavender, internally. Taking yeah. it internally. Lavender tincture is an amazing carminative. Um, uh, and it's actually written about uh, in the eclectics for uh, chronic gastritis, which is what they which would what we now call, uh, you know, environmentally mediated atrophic gastritis. And if your your listeners want a really interesting read, um, there is a, an eclectic physician by the name of Rolla Thomas, who published a book in 1922 called The Eclectic Practice of Medicine. And uh, it's available online. Henrietta's website has it. You can download a PDF of it from Michael Moore's website. Uh, It goes through every body system and talks about the physiology and pathophysiology and etiology. And it's really a brilliant book. If you'll go to the section on the digestive system. Um, Do we have a few minutes? Can I just read a quick section to you? Sure. Okay. Hang on. (laughs) I'm going to grab it. Give me five seconds. Awesome. Oh, that's the good eclectic a... practice of medicine by Rollo Thomas, nineteen twenty-two. We are getting so nerdy right now. We, we are getting really this is yes. so herbal nerdy right now. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> what it's all about. Get yeah. your square frame glasses oh, wow. on, folks. <laughs> okay, so awesome. I have 
I have an actual copy here. Um, that's like my wife found an original edi edition of this book in uh, uh, Australia on eBay and got it for me for my birthday the Aww. first year we were together. Oh, that's like, so romantic. Oh, that's she's a, a keeper. Right she's there. a keeper. Yep. Yeah, she's yep. a keeper. Um, <laughs> So uh, Rolla Thomas talks about chronic gastritis. Uh, he says uh, the same causes that give rise to acute gastritis, if continued, will result in the disease. In uh, nearly all of the cases, maybe summed up in a single word, abuse. Eating too quickly, uh, not slowing down and chewing your food, I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, you know, washing your food down with lots of water because you don't have time enough to eat it. Um, having unhealthy uh, uh, gums and teeth. Um, but I, I, he says, you know, it's the same cause as uh, acute gastritis. And uh, I have to read to you the, this little piece that just really hit me. Um, he says, and this is 1922, the most common causes of acute gastritis are errors in diet or method of eating. We live in an age where competition is strong and travel at a pace incompatible with health. The businessman hurries through his mills, only partially masticating his food and washing it down with large quantities of fluid. Children catch the infection and hurry through their mills in order to reach school or resume play. And this continued rush of American life is productive in a high degree of stomach disorders. Mm -hmm. That 1920, yeah, 1922, and he's talking about how stress and rush create stomach disorders. And I'm yeah. thinking, he didn't know nothing. Like, yeah. 1922 <laughs> is way before Fox News. Like, right. the levels of stress that people experience now are just ridiculous. And lavender is a, an amazing remedy for stress-induced hypochlorhydria, stress-induced or stress-related dysbiosis. So, yeah, the tincture of it internally works mm -hmm. wonders. Nice. Good That's to wonderful. know. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I'm excited to now brew up a lavender tincture. I've yeah, never done something like that before. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's going to be a great smell for you. Bitter, What's, aromatic. It's great. Yeah. It's all the good stuff. All the good stuff. Well, thank you for for speaking with us and giving that extra time, too. That's awful nice. I hope your wife will forgive us for delaying oh, yeah. you. <laughs> no problem it's yeah. been a pleasure talking with y'all yes, thank you also on behalf of the herbal nerd society i am sure all of our members are thrilled to be able to get this wonderful talk from you today yep thomas Great. easley folks thank you the statements made about herbs and products on this podcast have not been evaluated by the united states food and drug administration fda they're not intended to diagnose treat cure or prevent disease all information provided on this podcast or any affiliated websites is for informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for advice from your physician or other healthcare professional. You should not use the information on this podcast and its affiliated websites for a diagnosis or treatment of any health problem. Always consult with healthcare professional before starting any new vitamins, supplements, diet, or exercise program before taking any medication or if you have or suspect you might have a health problem. Any testimonials, Questions or case studies are based on individual results and do not constitute a guarantee that you will achieve the same results.